Entering the Freedom Hut. What is the left's plan for America? Minneapolis is actually defunding police. New York City is moving money away from the NYPD. Social distancing was all about control. New York Times op-ed chief resigns and also a Churchill statue defaced by people who think they are fighting fascism. That and more coming up. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me here. Let's get right to it, shall we? Because I, I just have some, some things I have to get off my chest right off the bat here, right, right at the start. What are we seeing right now in this country? Because to anybody who has maintained any sense of, of sanity, to anyone who has any real understanding of how the world works, of, of ethics, of morality, of society, of decency, of truth, if you have kept those things where they should be, If you have not abandoned them entirely, you are looking at what is happening right now in this country and saying, what the heck is all of this about? And at a certain level, what you are seeing is simply the following. It is the widespread delusion and mass cowardice that has spread all across the country colliding, right? The cowardice of, oh, the left is coming for us and maybe we can buy them off. Maybe we can convince them that we're good people. And the delusion on the left that there is a massive and systematic campaign of police violence against black people in this country. That is a lie. Start from that. It's a lie. The same way that the origins of the Black Lives Matter movement on Mike Brown as an innocent victim is a lie. We have facts. We have evidence. But they ignore that. They ignore that. And this this forces us to confront a reality that I think a lot of us are uncomfortable understanding. And I'm going to get into the, the defunding of police forces that people are not just talking about. They're doing it now in some places. They're doing it here in New York City. Oh, they're calling it a reorientation of priorities and funding the community. They're defunding the police. These psychos are taking the craziest slogans that are currently being spewed by these protests that make no sense and trying to institute them. And what do we have in this country? So many people in the media who are just cheering this on. Oh, that's right. This is going to help us achieve justice. This is exactly what we need right now. That is nuts. But you also see what's really happening through these, not just with the protests, but the the narrative creation that's going on in the country. What's happening is a a confluence, the the coming together of two very important moments, uh, two very important things right now. One is we have been put through an experiment that is perfect for the creation of mass hysteria, and we failed. The COVID experiment that we've just been through showed that if the media says enough that you should be terrified, uh, a majority of the American people will just cede all their rights. Everything is fine. I'm going to listen to the experts and won't even hold them accountable 
with rage once the swindle has been exposed, as it now has. Yes, COVID-19 is a real disease that killed a lot of people, primarily the elderly and those with serious health conditions pre-existing before COVID came along. Was it necessary to shut down all of society? New York Times is now publishing pieces from experts saying, you know, we probably should have been a more, we took it, taken a more targeted approach. Oh, you don't say, really? You mean that shutting down the entire economy like a bunch of tyrants and telling us to stay home, wear a mask, don't see anyone, wasn't brilliant epidemiologists coming together with a, with a solution that was absolutely necessary? You mean it was a panic response that was exploited? Yes. Yes, it was. And we'll return to this in just a little bit on the show today because I'm not, I'm not letting this go. I haven't gotten my apology letter in the mail yet from the libs. I haven't had the people that were telling me that I was being reckless weeks ago, months ago, by saying we should, I, my, my position on this was clear. We should be going to work as of the 15 days to slow the spread. That was it. That was to let us reset and get ready for the disease. After that, we should have been going back. We should have been engaging in life, in life. People that say, oh, it's just about a haircut are morons. We're never going to get these months back. And we didn't get anything really in the bargain. That's the biggest problem. And it set us on this path for turnkey, uh, turnkey totalitarianism. That's what it has done. And now we're seeing this right now. There's a reason the left feels so emboldened. Because as far as they're concerned, government action that dictates every part of your life. And I'll get into all the, the police anti-cop stuff and the craziness. But, but I really I want to start here at the big picture view today. What the left has seen is that it is not difficult, it is entirely feasible for the government to seize control of every aspect of your life, to tell you you can't leave your home, you can't go to your business, you can't see your loved ones, you can't go to a funeral, you can't get married, you can't go to a doctor unless you're basically going to die unless you do. Wasn't hard for them to create this, wasn't hard for them to get to this point, didn't take very long, did it? Do you think that the left now sees this and figures, well, that was a one-off? No, of course not. They've seen that Americans' love of freedom is unfortunately a minority position now. A minority of the American people care enough about freedom to do something about what has happened in this country. Now, fortunately, there are still tens of millions of us who care about individual freedom, the Constitution, and and basic dignity and human rights, because all of this has been cast aside, right? We had cops arresting people for going to playgrounds with their own children because of what the politicians and the media said. And now the same politicians and the media are telling us that cops can't arrest lunatics running around throwing bricks through windows because social justice or because systemic racism. So what you have here is, and, and just, just walk through the steps, the establishment of America as ready, as re ready for government total control. It's not, a, it's not a position that everyone shares, but enough. Wasn't hard to scare over 51% of the American people into their homes, was it? And also to tell us that we had no choice. Where are the, where are the big protests? I, I, you know, Tea Party movement, where are you? How about a return? How about that? 
Now, I know we don't have Trump out on the stump. We don't have the, the mobilization. This is all a left-wing mobilization, this Black Lives Matter stuff. They've done this before. Nothing came of it that was good. Didn't save minority communities. Didn't save anybody. In fact, people have a right to protest, yes, and I, and I do support that right, and it feels a bit like unnecessary throat clearing to have to say it all the time, but I also have a right to say that their movement isn't going to make anything better for anyone, and so far has only made things worse for everyone. Worse. That's all it's done. It's damaging. It's destructive. It's hateful. It's spiteful. It's not about having a conversation. It's not about reforming anything. You've got to be kidding me. Where is that happening? Defund police is reform? You know, people who... It's, it's amazing to me, too, how many individuals who are a part of these protests and these movements never really stop and think, what does it mean to be a cop? What are you really dealing with every day? And law enforcement officers, yes, they put themselves at risk. They put themselves on the line. But they're also asked to anyone that you... If, if you really know somebody who is in law enforcement, they are asked to, yes, protect old ladies from being bludgeoned and, and assaulted and God knows what on their way home every night. Yeah, they do that. Thank God. But they also have to step in and be a, a, be a servant of the public for so much of the societal dysfunction that's out there. They're, they're, they're called into domestic disputes. They're called into, you know, neighbors who are getting too, getting too heated with each other and somebody might pull a weapon. I mean, they're dealing with that stuff all the time. And millions and millions of police and public contacts and the cops are lowering the temperatures. The cops are making sure that that husband knows, you know, you put your hands on that wife we're going to lock you up. You know, you, you know time, to, time to cool down, buddy. I mean, the, the cops are stepping in all across the country doing this. I've got a cop in my family. I work with the NYPD. If you actually know these people, they're us. They're just us. They are the community. They're, 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 they live in the areas that they are policing or they're from the regions. You know, if you're going to be NYPD, you got to be in the, in the New York area. And yet it's just... Amazing how quickly this narrative has we've gone from cheering for first responders, including cops, to demonizing cops and being told that we don't need them anymore. The only thing that could do this is, is a mass mobilization of the left, the Democrat Party and say it. These are Democrats. These are Democrats who are destroying cities. These are Democrats who are calling cops racist murderers. These are Democrats who want to disband police departments. There are no Trump supporters involved. This is not bipartisan. When I say the left, I mean to be more inclusive. But understand this, Democrats are on the left. They are a part of this. They are behind this. They are this. And so what really is the goal? Because you'd have to ask, how could anyone be so crazy? What is the goal? Well, today there's all these polls that are circulating showing that uh, Biden here, this a CNN poll shows Biden up 14 points over Trump. Drudge Report today, which I, I don't know when Drudge went never Trump, but it's a sad thing to see it happening. Drudge Report today uh, has that Trump has the lowest approval, or rather the, the approval is at Jimmy Carter levels, 38%. This is the plan. I, I just told you, I mean, that's the goal. Everything else that we're talking about and getting into the minutia of details with police and policing and communities and all this stuff, it's all a distraction. It's about the mobilization and 
the destruction of different aspects, the mobilization of the left and the destruction of peace, order, prosperity, create a perception that things are going badly in this country. It's about power. And in that sense, they are, the left is successful right now. What happens if they don't mobilize in this way? What happens if they're not taking to the streets, shutting down cities, burning down neighborhoods? You know what people will be looking at right now? Wow. First of all, we were lied to largely by the left, by the elites, by politicians about the intelligence of their counter COVID measures and also the lethality of this virus, which is if you if you are under 50, you are being absurd unless you have some special medical condition to worry day in, day out about contracting COVID in terms of the risk to your own health. If you're over 70, it's a substantial risk. But remember, if the people around you are taking basic precautions and if you are able to get more resources to the people who really need it, who are at higher risk, that's a much more effective strategy than just telling everyone to lock themselves at home, which is what we did. But it's all working out the way the left wants it to. And you have to remember, these, they're not geniuses, right? There's not some incredible plan that's so intricate and everything else. No, it's channel the rage in the anti-Trump era of people who have been locked away for months and some of them, I'm sure, believing, most of them believing that they needed to do this and they don't want to blame the people, their own side. They don't want to blame, you know, CNN anchors and Democrat Party officials who were saying, stay home, that's the responsible thing to do. So all that rage, all that psychological duress, which is widespread across the nation right now. We have run a mental health experiment, the likes of which nobody ever could have imagined, and the damage done to our collective mental health is massive. And they're taking all of that, all that rage and anger and frustration, and, and, and I mean psychological instability, and channeling it into the most destructive and divisive causes possible because the rest of the country looking on at this just wants anything but this anything but this. And that's how you get to Trump's sinking approval ratings and Joe Biden, a confused, inept buffoon who will be a puppet of the Democrat left if he wins the election. That's how you get him with a lead over Trump. And that is the point. That's what all of this is about. The same way that they created this whole mythology of Russia collusion, all a lie. Oh, there was no Russia collusion. How many times did you hear that talked about in the media? It was all a fantasy. But it was to create the perception of Donald Trump as a traitor. And if he's a traitor, it doesn't matter how prosperous the country is. It doesn't matter that we're not expanding wars in the Middle East, invading countries we don't need to. Sorry, neocons. Doesn't matter. He's a traitor, you see. And that gave this psychological safe space, you could call it, for the left to hate Trump beyond any boundaries of reason or evidence. It gave them that refuge of disdain. That's where they would go. Oh, look at Russia collusion. Trump is Putin's puppet. I was coming on this show, and you know this, telling you the country is doing incredibly well. Enjoy this. It's amazing. I know other hosts are always running around yelling, it's terrible, I hate it. You know, they're always yelling something about how bad this is or how terrible that is. Yeah, we have fights, we have challenges, but I'm out there telling you that things are actually, were actually going incredibly well under Trump, and that's why they had to create this lie of Russia collusion. Because otherwise, people might start to see with their own lying eyes that the country is great and that Obama was terrible for the economy and that Obama wasn't the leader that the left pretended he was. And 
But now they have a real crisis. And what are they doing? They're just trying to twist the knife in America's back. Just make this even more difficult to come out of. We got hit with COVID. It was a terrible situation made so much worse by the policy decisions. And the psycho left has been all locked up and they don't know what to do with themselves. And you got the virtue signaling libs trying to, you know, rabble rouse on the streets now. And all of it is what? Meant to make sure that perception is this country is falling apart because of Donald Trump and because Donald Trump is so bad at this job, we must replace him even with a complete imbecile like Joe Biden. Just get that one or two percent of the voters to switch and give Biden a shot. Anything is better than this. They will destroy America as much as they can, as long as it means that whatever's left of America is in their hands starting in January of 2021. That's all this is. Make no mistake about it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You know, I'm a leader of this FTV movement. It means a lot of things. It can mean free the people. It can mean for the people. It could also mean fire into property. You know, and that's very possible. Tonight I'm leading a demonstration from Barclays Center at 6 p.m. to City Hall. And that's the first stop. And we're hoping de Blasio and Cuomo come out and talk to us and give the youth some direction. But if they don't, the next stop is the Diamond District. And gasoline, thanks to Trump, is awfully cheap. Oh, here's a protest leader in New York, in case you missed it, telling everybody on national TV, he's not hiding it, that de Blasio and New York City better do what we say or else we're going to go and burn down some Jewish-owned businesses in Midtown. A little, a little bit of casual anti-Semitism just thrown in the conversation here by this guy. And, and a threat. I mean, an actual threat of violence. But remember, mostly peaceful protests. Mostly peaceful protests. Uh, our, our media deserves your disdain for the disgrace that they are, but also what they're willing to do to this country in propping up this movement that is full of psychopaths. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Team, what is our mantra during this crisis? Never, ever bend the knee. I've been consistent on this one uh, for, for days, days, and days. I'm not going to stop. I thought maybe that in some circumstances... If someone felt morally compelled to show solidarity with the protesters, it would stop them from throwing things. I wouldn't judge them if it would prevent violence in a certain circumstance. But nope, never bend the knee. This is where we're, now we recognize uh, beyond any doubt what's going on here. And it's, it's a gesture of submission and it's about self-debasement. And the Democrats, of course, are doing this because they'll do anything. I mean, the Democrats, you know, Pelosi and Schumer, oh, they're all they're all bowing and bending knee, anything they have to do right now, because this has become this this Black Lives Matter anti-racism movement has become a religious movement. And it's a religious movement for people, many of whom look upon religion with contempt. So this fills that very important part of one's life that usually you think of with, with religious purpose or relationship with God or spirituality. It is now with this. The same way that climate change has transitioned into a religious belief. It is a religious belief. People keep saying it's not. But you look at it, you go, no, it is. It is. 
provide them with evidence that something they don't believe isn't true. They don't say, wow, that's really interesting because this is about science and about fact. They go, how dare you? Are the oil companies buying you off? Oh, no, but some oil money sounds nice, actually. Now people are running all over the place demanding, demanding that others bend the knee. Here, here is, uh, for example, uh, oh, oh wait, we, we, have, we have Roger Goodell, who has now said that, you know, protesting, bend the knee. This is, we're, we're back on this NFL players bending the knee thing. I got to tell you, I mean, NBA, NFL, these leagues, a lot of very spoiled multi-multi-millionaires running around. They're, my whole, I don't really care that much about professional sports thing. Um, I was thinking that it was a way to bond America back, but I'm, I'm starting to go back on that one a little bit because... I don't think I can handle some of these some of these folks, uh, their, their positions and using the position they have as a celebrity, incredibly wealthy individual to jam their ignorant politics down the throats of the American people. I mean, you know, a lot of a lot of the people we're talking about here don't really know very much. OK, it's just the truth. A lot of athletes, a lot of Hollywood celebrities just don't really know very much. But they're really good at one thing. And then we're supposed to listen to them about some of the most complicated questions in civic and political life? No. No. No, that's when they step into my world. Because I do this all the time. And I actually know what I'm talking about, whether people agree with me or not. I, I don't run around spewing ignorance and saying, no, but I, but I can, you know, throw a football really far. Or I can, whatever, all these other things that these athletes do. Anyway, Roger Goodell of the NFL is saying, oh, we were so sorry, we're wrong. Because now every, everyone's just scrambling for cover, desperate to avoid getting crushed by the mob. Play four. First, my condolences to the families of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and all the families who have endured police brutality. We, the National Football League, condemn racism and the systematic oppression of black people. We, the National Football League, admit we were wrong for not listening to NFL players earlier and encourage all to speak out and peacefully protest. We, the National Football League, believe black lives matter. I personally protest with you and want to be part of the much needed change in this country. Without black players, there would be no National Football League. And the protests around the country are emblematic of the centuries of silence, inequality, and oppression of black players, coaches, fans, and staff. We are listening. I am listening. And I will be reaching out to players who have raised their voices and others on how we can improve and go forward for a better and more united NFL family. I mean, what is this? What, what is he even saying? What's the point of this? Well, because now you're going to now the activism. If you were annoyed before about you remember kneeling, they do it specifically during the respect shown to the flag because they know that that will upset people. They know that that will upset those of us who think that it is meant to be a show of of solemn support for the patriots who have fought and died for this country and continue to wear the uniform and also for the underlying bonds that all Americans have through that flag. They, they, they do something during that to disrespect that sensibility and then they pretend like oh we're not showing disrespect we just have a voice on something else no i'm sorry no it's not gonna not gonna work not on my watch i'm not going to agree they can say whatever they want 
People can make all these different claims. They can say that black men are being hunted systematically by the police. That is a lie. And it will never change. They could, you know, they could, you know, mob my building and burn me out and the whole thing. It wouldn't change what I've said. It is true. Doesn't matter if they deplatform me, if they come after me on social media. What I am saying is true. What this movement is claiming on some of the most important issues is false. Doesn't matter what they think about it. It doesn't matter how it makes them feel to hear the truth. But you see, that's that's supposed to be a casualty of this whole process. Truth is supposed to be part of what is under assault here. And, and it is. It is. And then there's this just the once you eliminate truth, then anything is possible. Right. Once you whatever someone feels like saying about something must be treated the same way, whether someone else comes along and agrees with it or not. This is where we are. This is the, the situation in which we find ourselves. So that then brings me to this. Oh, oh my. That then brings me to, oh, should you ever kneel? Should you ever kneel? Here is a law enforcement officer. And this, I think, shows you the whole spectrum of what is really happening here and, and what the mindset is. It starts with, come on, just, just kneel. Just, just take a knee to show us that, you know, you're cool and you support our cause and it's not a big deal. Why won't you take a knee? Come on, just just take the knee. And then when you say, nah, I'm not going to kneel in front of you because that's an act of submission. You kneel before God. You kneel before your, your king, right? Then you go through history. Kneeling is not something you do in front. Do you see your buddy and take a, take a knee in front of him? Say, hey, great to see you. No. If you were offered a job and the boss said, so excited to have you on board, Bob. We're going to have a great time here. Really wonderful benefits and salary for you. But just, I want you to stand in front of me and just take a knee for a minute and look up at me. What do you, what do you say? Just, just take a knee for me. Wouldn't you think, what a psycho? Well, that's the most bizarre thing ever. Well, not now, you know, law enforcement keeps getting told, oh, no, take a knee. It's all fine. You know, no, don't worry about it. But when they don't do it, what are you, some kind of racist? Why won't you do what we say? It's always the implied threat. Do what I say or else. It's not do what I say because it's moral. They're not trying to bring you over to the call. They just want you to show that act of subservience. Show that you can be, can be pushed. And then they've got you. Look at, I mean, Drew Brees is, speaking of the NFL, Drew Brees' wife has released an apology now. Over the weekend, she said, we are the problem. She says she realizes we are the problem. Well, now she's kind of the problem because this is ridiculous. Can we have Drew Brees apologize for, you know, centuries of systemic racism? I think he needs to apologize 10 times. I don't think, I don't think three is enough. I think 10. And, and I think he should have to, just like in Game of Thrones, you know, he can do like a walk with people throwing tomatoes at him totally naked through the town square, right? Maybe then he'll show how sorry he is for saying something that was eloquent, well-stated, and in which he was completely correct. But that, again, that's being correct and speaking the truth is no defense anymore. The mob is outraged all the time. The mob is seeking not, con not converts, but heretics. They want to find people who are heretics to their religious belief, and they want to destroy them. And that then brings me to this officer, this officer who I think uh, somewhat bravely under the circumstances, given that he's on camera, and now I'm sure he'll be hounded on social media and people will yell at him, and is, is told that this is how the progression moves from, hey, would you bend the knee to everyone shouting at you, you better bend the knee. Don't ever forget this. Play clip two. Don't break 
take a knee would you pray with us no no you won't do that you won't take a knee on camera in front of us then 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 the mob starts chanting and that officer walked away and didn't do it right now understand this we are all in different ways being asked to take a knee we're being told to agree with things that are lies we're being told to uh forego our rights we're being told that our safety isn't uh isn't something that we're allowed to be concerned about Everything, everything right now is up for debate, according to the left. And this is where this defund police movement comes in. What could be a crazier, dumber public policy idea than this? It's very challenging to come up with one. I mean, this kicks at the very load bearing walls of civilization itself. You have no police force. You have no. How can you have law and order unless the state has a monopoly on force? I mean, this takes you all the way back to the origins of the nation state or of the state period. How can you have a government if the government's only asking people to do things, if the government does not take it upon itself to enforce the law? There's there's always a there's always in the background the promise that if you don't do what the state says, and this is the this is the social contract. This is the basis of how nation states can function. If you don't do what the law says, there will be punishment and that punishment will eventually be people with weapons coming to force you to answer for what you have done or what you haven't done. That's how this works. But right now we're told, oh, no, there's an easier way. There's a better way. And it's insane, but it also goes to show you what the real project is, which is to isolate people that still see the world with clarity, to delegitimize people that still think that facts and truth matter, and to just incite the mob for the political purposes of the left so that they can seize power. Uh, think, think of what has gone on here in the Trump era, uh, in Trump era and think about what they have been willing to do up to this point to try to stop him. The, the absurd impeachment, the Russia collusion farce, special, special counsel, people at the top of the law enforcement apparatus, all the different media just pretending that they don't have to, they don't have to be journalists anymore. They're something else. They're anti-Trumpism. That's what they are. They've already gone all in against this president every way that they can. They've just seized the moment now with COVID and now with these riots to push even further. It's not about making anyone safer. It's not about making the world a better place. It's about being in charge of whatever world is left when they're done. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. So this is what happened up in Minneapolis where all of this started because of George Floyd uh, and the officer uh, Chauvin who knelt on his neck and Minneapolis, you might have seen video over the weekend. It looks like a looks like a, you know, a demilitarized zone between two warring entities. Now, there's whole areas burned out, destroyed, shattered glass windows. A lot of those are minority owned businesses, by the way. Uh, ever going to come back? No. People say, oh, they have insurance. The insurance companies will fight over every penny. It doesn't cover everything. And who would want to who'd want to open up a business again? 
you want to wait for the next riot, the next looting to come through? Remember, the, the standard here is you got nine black people a year unarmed, killed by police. We're almost at zero, as it is. I mean, that's pretty, in a country 320 million, that's pretty close to zero. If it's five next year, well, there'll be, the, the next time there's one caught on video and it's a, you know, it's a really bad incident, as this was, they're going to burn down another neighborhood? They, they, we went through this in St. Louis with the origins of the Black Lives Matter movement, right? We went through this, and Black Lives Matter just started as a, as a hashtag. It was left-wing activists looking for something to call left-wing activism, which is why if you go on the Black Lives Matter website, there's stuff about respecting trans rights, and there's stuff about you know, social justice and socialism. And I mean, it's really, a, a lot of it is just repackaged Marxism with all this racially divisive rhetoric and language thrown in. Or, or perhaps that's the, the vanguard of it. That's the, at the forefront of it. But here's what happened up in Minneapolis when Mayor Jacob Frey, who I've got to tell you, and this guy was at the George Floyd Memorial, which, of course, lots of people gathered together. Forget about COVID. Doesn't count anymore. I will never listen to those public health frauds again. You know, where is Dr. Fauci? Uh, you know, if you don't the mitigation at the protest, you know, social distance, six feet between that. You're basically killing millions of grandmas. Where is he on this? He was, oh, they were trotting him out front of us uh, day in, day out. You know, you, I'm sorry. You got to ruin your economy. You got to You got to go crazy indoors. We don't have any science to back this up. No one's ever done this before, but it's the only answer. Get me my presidential medal of freedom while you're at it, please. Thank you. Really? That's anyway. Mayor Frey is at the casket of George Floyd, bawling his eyes out. Now, look, I, it's a sad thing this man died. Uh, you know, it, we're, we're also, if you start, we're going to start talking more and more about his background. Interesting that he's become a martyr for this movement, given what has come out about George Floyd previously. It doesn't mean that he's allowed to have someone kneel on his neck and kill him. By, far from it. That officer should face the full punishment of the law. But to build a political movement around him is a different thing. That's... Uh, that's something that's going to be more, more fraught than I think many on the left realize. Uh, but, but Mayor Frey, who is this young guy who clearly, he, he looks like, uh, to me, like the twin brother of that other total milquetoast nincompoop lefty, uh, the prime minister of Trudeau of Canada. I know, I like when he sounds like, he doesn't sound like this at all, which is disappointing. Wouldn't he be, if he actually wore a beret, and was like, I am Justin Trudeau, I am the best male feminist of all time, no? But also, I have a little bit of a troubled past, so when the photos come out and uh, my Quebecois accent, you know, is uh, not enough of a distraction. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I'm sad that he, he sounds kind of like, <laughs> sounds like everybody. He's like, hi, I'm the Prime Minister of Canada, because I've created this version of him in my head. Anyway, Trudeau and Frey, very, very similar uh, in so many ways, their politics are the same. They even look, I think, a little bit alike. Frey is at the casket crying his eyes out. I, I mean, really? Really, man? You're, you're going to pull that? But oh, look at the Democrats, Democrat senators, you know, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Oh, all this solidarity, kneeling, bowing, all this stuff. This is their this is their left wing religious mobilization. That's what this is. Remember, it's not actually a religion, but it is filling the place of religion in people's lives right now because they can't go to church because it's so dangerous. 
Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nothing is as crazy these days as the calls to defund the cops. Now, you may be thinking, Buck, come on. They can't really mean defund the cops. They can't really mean that. That's just, that's insane. I mean, anybody knows. Defund the cops? And the movie The Purge was not supposed to be a prediction. It was not supposed to be a documentary of the future. And any of you who have seen it, it's, it's pretty good for what it is. It's low budge, but uh, it does, does pretty well. And they've made a whole bunch of spinoffs of it. But it's about a society where they allow all crime to be condensed into one 24-hour period. Anything goes, including murder, and everyone has to just stay locked in their homes and try to stay alive through the night. And this is how they control crime. So it's all all that violence is focused. Now, it's a obviously dystopian concept, but makes for pretty compelling viewing. And what we see here are people telling you that you don't need cops. Here's what I, I, I was getting to this before, but then I got into my comparison of uh, Justin Trudeau and uh, Mayor Jacob Frey, because Trudeau is like a, a Mountie from the 1950s on the horseback in Quebecois speaking. Uh, he doesn't sound like that at all. I need to stop. I don't know. I just want to do my French Pierre accent for some reason today. But Mayor Jacob Frey was, you know, he's at the heart of all this stuff because he's trying so he's trying so hard to try and be on the good side of the protesters. You know, he's one of the guys who wants he's an ally. That's the term we use. He's an ally. Well, here's what happened when he was at a protest. And he said, look, guys, I mean, come on, defund the police. I mean, we all know that's crazy, right? Nope. They do not think so. Here's what they did when he said that he didn't think that was a good idea. Play clip three. Shame. Shame. That's actually a reference to the Game of Thrones scene that I was mentioning before, which the, the left loves using that one. Uh, go home, Jacob Frey. This guy is on be- literally on bended knee, crying his eyes out as if George Floyd was his best friend in the whole world. And that's not an ex- you can see there's video of it. I, look, it's nice for public officials sometimes to show solidarity at a funeral, uh, you know, but I mean, come on. Right. He's never met the guy, doesn't know the guy, he's going to cry his eyes out? Why? Well, we all, I mean, we all know the, 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 the question why, we don't have to get in it. We all understand why, because he's pandering and he's, he's a, a total fraud. But that's what you see all across the media, the Democrat Party. And remember, these are Democrats. I'll say the left. When I say the left, Democrats. That's, what, that's who's behind this. That's who's doing this. They really hate when you bring that up, too. That all the protests, they're all, they're all Democrats. All the people looting and rioting, if they vote, Democrats. All the people engaged in violence against cops, Democrats, people that want to defund police, Democrats. I mean, you won't hear this other places. It'll just be referred to in this obscure, oh, the protest or oh, the movement or oh, Black Lives Matter. They're all Democrats. Okay, let's let's understand that. And there was a mass movement of conservatives uh, a decade ago called the Tea Party, and there was no destruction, no looting, no violence, no nothing, no rioting, none of this, no insane demands. So these, these political parties, when it comes to their ethics and morality, are not the same, okay? 
The left is the mob. And this is actually why I, I think if you haven't read it, she does not. Uh, you guys all know that I'm a fan of her work and, you know, she's become a friend over the years. Ann Coulter's book, uh, Demonic, on how the left is the mob. Re, if you've never read it before and look, I don't get kickbacks for you know, trying to get you to read it right now. Read it right now. And if you've never read Bonfire of the Vanities by Tom Wolfe, excellent novel that will take you through some of the dynamics you see playing out right now as well. It's probably it's his best novel of all time. Uh, but the left is the mob. And it is the party of the mob. It is the party of, you know, rabble rousing on the streets. And that's why it doesn't matter when you present them with facts and you have other stories and other things that you want to be a part of the discussion. No, no, no. They're angry. People are angry. I've actually had in debates about these issues in the past. Someone will just say that to me as if that's profound. People are angry about a lot of things. It doesn't mean anything. But Jacob Frey gets told, oh, if you won't defund the police, you are the problem. And then, I mean, and you guys know I have, I have fun with the CNN anchors. I mean, CNN is the, worst, is the worst place in the media right now, with the possible exception of the New York Times, which I've got a, an update on that story for you. Guess what? Another, another, uh, another head rolling over the New York Times so that the woke mob feels like they're being heard. Someone else who, look, it's hard for me to get too sad for some of these libs that lose their jobs at these left-wing institutions because they're always trying to get other people fired. So it seems like justice at some level... But, you know, I'm a human being and I care about my fellow human beings and I want what's best for them. And here's another guy who won't be able to pay his bills, won't, you know, going to have to look his kid. Now, on the left, he'll, he'll get another job. He'll be fine. But, you know, for some people, this can be a real disruption. See, I actually think about other human beings and have sympathy for them. Unlike the, unlike the left that thinks that the 40 million people who have lost their jobs just want a haircut, man. They don't care. They're not upset about the COVID restrictions for any reason other than some basic inconvenience really there are people who are running up credit card debt can't pay their bills lost their jobs for no fault of their own and these psychotic libs want to pretend that somehow they have no point to make we'll get back to the, the lockdown thing in, in a little bit uh but but here's cnn really if, if there's a thing that triggers me these days and not in a way where i feel unsafe but a way where i just fly into a blind rage i mean it, cnn is full of the worst people in the media now the worst the absolute worst uh and they're all egomaniacs they don't care what's happening to you they don't care what's happening ar around the country they all live in a very small group of places for the ultra rich they have chauffeurs taking them literally chauffeurs this is true to and from their workplaces they all fled for their second or third or fourth homes when the COVID thing broke out and were doing the shows from home trying to make it seem like they were still in studio but you know they're doing it from home uh, they're the worst. Here is Alison Camerata uh, talking to, this is a, a member of the, she's a CNN anchor, and she's speaking to a member of the Minneapolis City Council, which has in fact now voted, it's a veto-proof majority they have, they have voted to defund the Minneapolis police. And, and no one even knows, and now I say that, and I, I, I don't even understand what they really think is going to happen next. I don't know if the police have funds to a certain I don't think they know. I think they're just they're just trying to placate the mob, trying to be a part of the mob. Really, they're not trying to placate it. They don't have a problem with the mob. They they want to be in with the mob. But they have voted to defund the police. They have actually done this in Minneapolis now. And I, I know, you know, we are on a station in Minneapolis. So please, those of you who listen, Team Buck Minneapolis, let us know what 
the heck is going on in your city right now? Uh, because the rest of the country is looking at this. Everybody who's saying and saying this is completely crazy. They can't really be doing this. No, they are. They are. You know, my, I was on Tucker show last week and I said defunding the police is insane, but it's not impossible. Turns out I was right. That was the first thing I said on, on Tucker show on Thursday. Defunding the police is insane, but it's not impossible. And now they're defunding. They're actually doing this. And Camerata, Alison Camerata is very serious. She cares a lot about social justice. You know, she just wants to get to the truth. And here she is with a member of the Minneapolis City Council asking her about this. And, and, and you know, because, again, you are listening to this show and you're approaching this as a normal person who understands how the world functions. And you're saying no police force. Well, they, they can't be serious because, for example, what are people in Minneapolis supposed to do when they hear somebody trying to beat down their door or, cra- you know, crash through the glass of a first floor window at two o'clock in the morning? Who are you going to call? Oh, no, the social justice people want you to know that. Well, yeah, but the cops calling the cops makes it a more dangerous situation. So so we've now gone to the place where the, the example that we would use to explain how insane the libs, the left, the Democrats are, hey, who are you going to call at 2 o'clock in the morning? Someone's breaking into your house. They look at you and they go, wow, but like cops are like really dangerous. So like, it's better you can't call the cops. What? I mean, I, I, I mean it's, here, here she is. Play, play clip six. I'll let, I'll, let her, I'll let the city council member speak for herself. Play six. You know, there are lessons from all over the country, all over the world that we're looking to um, to take immediate steps while we work toward building the systems that we would need to imagine that that future. Do you understand that the word dismantle or police free also makes some people nervous? For instance, what if in the middle of the night my home is broken into? Who do I call? Yes, I mean, I, I hear that loud and clear from a lot of my neighbors. And I know, and and myself too, and I know that that comes from a place of privilege because for those of us for whom the system is working, I think we need to step back and imagine what it would feel like to already live in that reality where calling the police may mean more harm is done. Calling the police may mean more harm done. Calling the police could make the situation worse when you hear that crash through your window at two o'clock in the morning. So that's the answer. That's the justification given for what's going to happen when there's no cops. The cops make it worse. I, you know, this is why last week I said to you, there is no way to reason with those who don't care about reason. Like there's once you've abandoned facts and sanity and truth and normalcy and objectivity, how do you even have a conversation? You can't have a conversation with people when they think things like cops are worse. Calling cops. Think about it this way. Uh, you, You have millions and millions of arrests, 10 million arrests every year. We count the number of people who are unarmed, killed by cops by a few dozen how many people are murdered every year 
15,000, give or take, in the United States? How many more people would be murdered if there were no cops? Your guess is as good as mine, but it's going to be a lot more than 15,000. I can assure you of that. In these minority communities that were being told the cops are such an evil force, when a drug dealer now kills somebody, or let's say, you know, shoots, this happens in Chicago all the time. Drug dealers get into a gun battle. They have, you know, they're just firing rounds all over a civilian area. And, you know, a 10-year-old girl gets hit by a bullet. There's no cops. What, you're going to send the social workers after them? This is going to be law and order social workers unit? That's what they think is going to happen? They're going to they're have a nice conversation with them? I got news for those social workers. They're going to get shot at too. But this is what they're talking about. This is the level of insanity and this is the level of absurdity that the Democrat Party is embracing because remember, it doesn't, whatever destruction happens, what, it doesn't matter. It's all about mobilization and making the country destable and feel like things are going terribly. So whatever they can do to achieve that, it doesn't matter, right? The, the Democratic Party now views itself largely as an anti-Trump insurgency. And one thing I can tell you about insurgency in Iraq and Afghanistan, and all of you listening who served over there in the military know exactly what I'm talking about. All they have to do is blow stuff up, kill people, and cause a mess. And then people eventually say, look, I mean, if you can't protect me, maybe the insurgents can. So here what they're doing, they're not blowing things up, I mean, necessarily. I mean, they're not actually taking those same tactics because that would be self-defeating at this phase. But they are engaged in destabilization, massive, uh, massive looting, rioting, and anarchy on the streets so that people just say, well, I, I guess the Trump era has brought this about. I'll go with anything that's not this. The alternative has to be better than this. So they're incentivized to keep this going as long as they can. And I think what you'll see is actually repeated waves of this, waves of this, waves of this, because now it becomes, a, it becomes their method of switching whatever the news cycle is, switching it away from a topic they don't like to a topic they do like, right? If there's good jobs numbers, right in the streets, black lives matter, silence is violence, all the things you're hearing being chanted. And you say, well, hold on, can we, we, had, we actually had the economy starting to get a little better. <gasps> do you not care about black lives? Wait, wait, I thought, but this is a segment on the economy. Well, are you not going to bend the knee? Really? Really? You don't think that bad things are happening in minority communities across the country every day, that law enforcement is systemically racist? Wait, but I'm, we're trying to, the jobs affects everybody. The economy affects everybody. No, it doesn't. How dare you? That's where this all goes. It becomes their mechanism for controlling the conversation and also switching perception. And that is what they will continue to do. So don't think, even if this fades away, which it might, but it might not. It'll come back. It'll come back just in time, as will the uh, demands for lockdowns, because even the possibility of lockdowns in some states will tank the economy enough right before the election to make people think that something else has to be better than this. Anything is better than Trump is what the Democrats want as their rallying cry. So guess what? All you have to do for that is make life unlivable for as many people as possible. And then the alternative becomes the only answer even if the alternative is a buffoon who forgets what country he's in, what year it is, or what office he's running for. They don't care. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I will never call sign on funding a police department that continues to brutalize us. 
And I will never stop saying, not only do we need to disinvest for in police, but we need to completely dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department. The Minneapolis Police Department is rotten to the root. And so when we dismantle it, we get rid of that cancer and we allow for something beautiful to rise. And that reimagining allows us to figure out what public safety looks like for us. Dismantle the police department, sitting U.S. member of Congress Ilhan Omar says. And she says this as someone who represents a district in Minneapolis that was the most destroyed of all in Minnesota as a result of the riots and protests that happened here. So her, her answer is to get rid of all cops. The cops couldn't even handle the riots they already had. Now she's saying, get rid of police. So you'd have to wonder, what is going to replace the police? H- how are you going to have uh, anybody think that they could be safe, uh, safe there? Uh, keep in mind that last year, I thought this was interesting, according to the uh, Minneapolis Star Tribune, St. Paul's homicide rate, says here, doubled. The year, uh, the year before, so there has been a a a surge in killings, and you'd want to know. Hold on a second, why is that happening? The median. Uh, I mean, here's the Star Tribune 20, 2019 homicides in St. Paul for Minneapolis, St. Paul. The overwhelming majority died of gun yeah gunshots. That's not surprising. Um, about half the killings have resulted in murder or manslaughter charges. That is not a high clearance rate. I'm trying to see what the number of. St. Paul surpassed 25 homicides for the year. So you want to know what happens? What happens when they get rid of the cops? What happens to the people that have been killed? Do their families get any justice? They're going to have social workers show up. So. I mean, they went from 15, sorry, it was 15 to 30 is what the Star Tribune here says. So they're already seeing a a spike that, look, it's a small number overall, but that's just one city. What happens when you get rid of all the cops? Who solves those murders? Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We send out people with guns and and they are there to use deadly force no matter what the problem may be. If the problem is sexual assault, we send somebody with a gun. If the problem is domestic violence, we send somebody with a gun. If the problem is somebody in a mental health crisis, we send somebody with a gun. And I think that what we need to do as a society, as a city, is to say, is there a better way to have people be safe and secure to investigate crime and to hold people accountable. Is there a better way to conceive of this? Because let me tell you, so many of our, when President Obama had 21st century policing, it was groundbreaking. They had a lot of great reforms. Why did he call it 21st century? Because so much of our policing is rooted in the 20th century or even the 19th century. We haven't really updated what we do in terms of training, in terms of preparation, in terms of various problems. And so much of safety and security involves mental health professionals, involves, you know, recreation for youth. It involves a lot of things. And just having a paramilitary group where we send somebody with a gun to solve every problem might not be the only way or the best way. 
we don't send someone with a gun to solve every problem. Everything Keith Ellison says here is effectively a lie, untrue, or a misdirection. What, what, what he says, you know, when there's domestic violence, we send somebody with a gun. Yeah, because that's actually the most dangerous thing that most cops do. That and traffic stops per capita. Because you know what happens when you're on a traffic stop? You run someone's plates. You know what you might find out when you're running their plates? That they're wanted in three states for murder. Guess what happens if you show up and you think you're just writing a ticket, but you don't have a gun? You're a sitting duck. Guess what happens when you show up to a domestic violence dispute and you have no means of defending yourself? And, you know, the crazy, violent, you know, drugged up husband decides that you're, you know, getting in the way of his fun by abusing his family and doing horrible things and comes at you with a baseball bat. You're going to say, oh, I'm just a, I'm just part of the special special social workers unit, sir. Don't don't hit me with that bat. How much dumber is the left going to get? I don't know. They, they've really gone down to the stupidity basement. I, I don't know if there's there's a level below this. We send men with guns. There's a reason for that. Has Keith Ellison never spoken to somebody in law enforcement? Does he have no idea what he's talking about? We have social workers. We have people that work for, you know, in New York, they call it the Department of uh, Men, uh, Health and Mental Hygiene. There are people that come to deal with problems all the time, don't have guns. We got park rangers in New York that don't have guns. Some park rangers do in some places because they need to. Oh, you know why? Because you know what will happen? If you catch somebody poaching in a national park and they got two guys with high-powered rifles and you're unarmed, mm, maybe they don't want to face a $100,000 fine and a year or two in federal prison. So guess what? You know, there are reasons that people carry in law enforcement, that they carry the weapons that they do. And people say, oh, Buck, well, what about in Great Britain? Okay, yeah, first of all, if you want to look at the number of homicides, well, you know, now, now the left is pretending like we don't have a violence problem in this country, which is fascinating. Now we have to act like we, we don't have uh, gangbangers shooting it out in inner cities all over the country on a regular basis. You know, there were, I think it was uh, 18 people killed in Chicago. Don't quote me on the number because I just saw it a second ago as I was in the break. Uh, but 18 people killed in Chicago over the weekend, murdered. That's one city. What do you think happens? What do you think happens when the police are gone? You think, you think in Chicago, well, that's almost all violence on the south and I believe part of the west of Chicago, but it's really all on the south side. It's gang violence, mostly over drug turf and people getting caught in the in the crossfire of that. What do you think happens when there are no cops to tell them to stop doing that or no cops with guns? You think that you think that the guns that are all over the south side of Chicago disappear? You know, it's amazing that in the cities they want to disarm the citizenry and disarm the police. Meaning the only people with guns are going to be the bad guys. Oh, don't call them bad guys. They're just misunderstood. I mean, we're really returning to that conception of criminals aren't criminals. They're our fault. That, that was prominent in liberal circles in the 70s and, and led to these hellscapes in major U.S. cities that lasted for decades. We finally came out of that. You know how? Policing. Expecting everyone to obey the law and punishing those who do not. You know, we've had in this country overall a major decline in violence that's been going on for a, for a couple of decades now. And we have it at the levels of policing that we currently have and the way that we're doing policing. And yet they want to try this experiment where we're just going to have effectively glorified social workers in place of cops. 
they really they really think have they never you know you want to ask some of these these libs who are saying this stuff have they never dealt with a really bad person have they never had someone that was on the street that was a true threat they don't know what that's like they've never been around that they've never seen that they think that everyone can be reasoned with you know when keith ellison brings up oh when someone's you know they call it in the mypd an edp an emotionally disturbed person that sometimes means a crazy naked person you know, covered in their own feces, who's running around biting people, and they send the cops to, do you want to go in there without a firearm or a baton or anything else? You just want to go in there and reason with that person? I, I, I just want to know. You know, who, who's going to sign up for the law enforcement job of, I'm going to go into places, you're, what, you're, you're going to serve warrants without firearms? You're going to do highway patrol without firearms? You know, where are they going to decide that this is... You're going to have everyone just wait for the, for the SWAT team. You know, eventually people with guns are going to have to show up. Do you, do you want to get rid of the guns with them too? I mean, I, I'm almost frustrated that we even have to have a discussion about this because it's so stupid, and yet this is where they are. This is what they've brought the conversation to. And people at CNN and the New York Times who live in the, rich, the richest parts of Washington, D.C. and New York City who think that their doormen will keep them safe and the cops will come when they call them, even though they don't want cops for other people. And if things really get bad, you know, they'll hire private security. Their companies will hire private security at their armed guards in their, uh, you know, in their lobbies, armed guards in their newsrooms. But you don't get to have a gun and are, are all alone here in New York City. You know how long it takes? I have a friend who just found this out to get a long gun permit. If I wanted to get a shotgun for sporting clays, you know, get like a 20 gauge double barrel. You know, that would, you know how long it would take in New York City? Six to nine months. That's, that's the legal process here for getting a firearm. They want to get rid of guns in the hands of cops. It's, look, this is all a total outrage. Um, you know, AOC, one of the dumbest people in the United States Congress, not the dumbest, but one of the dumbest. You know, now, she, now they're, they're, hitting, they're uh, hitting the cops for not having enough. Now it's not, not enough training. Oh, you think, you think cutting their funding is going to make them better? trained and better equipped to handle all this stuff play uh 15. another thing that we need to see i think this is something that we saw you know we saw it in ferguson especially but we've seen it across the country the militarization of our police is enabled by the federal government and i want everyone to draw a direct line between our police budget and our defense budget here in the united states of america because we would not be giving local police departments who are undertrained a tank if we didn't give the military too much money to have extra damn tanks lying around to begin with. Too much money spent on law enforcement and, and militarization of, of police and all this other stuff that she's saying. Look, I mean, the military, a militarization of police point, I'm, I'm fine with having that discussion. They're talking about no police with with guns that that's a so we, we've gone from they can't have tanks to they can't have a sidearm and they're supposed to enforce the law in a very dangerous uh america it's um it's a big problem my friends it's something that we're gonna have to deal with increasingly because they've now they've they've dug in on this position so they're not going to abandon this one easily and anybody who tries to challenge this you know what they're going to say you're racist Anyone who says, no, no, cops need to have firearms and need to be able to enforce the law, you're racist. That's what it's, go that's what it's going to be. So get ready for that. They're not going to try to engage on the merits and look at the data and what's going to keep people safer. 
What does it mean in minority communities? You know, you know where they ran a depolicing experiment recently, starting right around 20, what was it, uh, 2015, 2016? Baltimore. Baltimore cops were like, okay, after the Freddie Gray incident in particular, they said, we're not going to be doing a whole lot more of this, and uh, meaning policing. And murder rates shot up and people felt unsafe in a city that already couldn't afford to have anybody feel like it was getting worse, got a whole lot worse and a whole lot less safe. So it's it's a big problem, huge. And and I don't know where the sane people are that should, you know, why can't we? Pro- By the way, we should all be protesting. and I want to get to this, too. So at least there's no question that we're never going back to lockdown because it was it was all meant to control us and it was a fraud, right? That social distancing is a joke because it's only something that's okay until libs think there's some important virtue signaling opportunity out there and then it goes out the window. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. God bless the Attorney General, Bill Barr. He's the right man for this moment. The administration has benefited so much from this guy for having somebody who is a, a steady hand, a brilliant mind, and does not quake, does not have his knees shaking together when the mob comes a-calling, the media mob, the actual mob on the streets. Here is what the Attorney General of the United States had to say in a recent interview about whether or not law enforcement is systemically racist. Play clip nine. Do you believe there is systemic racism in law enforcement? I think there's racism in the United States still, but I don't think that the uh, law enforcement system is systemically racist. I understand the the distrust, however, of the African-American community, given the history in this country. Uh, I think we have to recognize that for most of our history, our institutions were explicitly racist. Since uh, the 1960s, I think we've been in a phase of reforming our institutions and making sure that they're in sync with our laws and aren't fighting a rear guard action to impose inequities. And you think that's working? I think I think the reform is a difficult task, but I think it is working and progress has been made. I think one of the best examples is the military. The military used to be explicitly racist institution, and now I think it's in the vanguard uh, of, of bringing the races together and providing equal opportunity. I think law enforcement has been going through the same process. The guy is eloquent. He understands the racial inequities of the past and even stretching all the way into the 1960s. And as a function of law and government, the racism that was enshrined in law, he's not he's not in any way you know, minimizing that or dismissing it or anything else. But he's also saying, well, we have to look at where we are now, not where we were 50 or 60 years ago. And to say the, that law enforcement is systemically racist, someone would have to ask the question in what ways and how? And, and ask and ask for real answers about this. You know, why is law enforcement systemically racist? I, I keep hearing this repeated all the time. And he says, no, he doesn't think law enforcement. How is it systemically racist? We have on, on criminal justice matters, laws that are all across the board supposed to be race neutral. We have a jury of our peers convicting us in criminal cases. Uh, cops. Are, do, do we have any evidence that cops are? Remember, it's systemic. Systemic does not mean occasional or aberrant or once in a while. It means this is how it's set up. It, it, it's set up. This is what the system produces on purpose. This is what the system is doing. Systemic racism, how? Well, they never answer that. They just repeat the systemic racism point 
as if that just saying it enough will somehow fix it or somehow make anything better. Uh, here we have Bill Barr uh, talking about the Lafayette Square protest that got so much attention from the media last week. That was the biggest. While cities were burning and neighborhoods were getting their windows shattered and rocks thrown through them and all this stuff, the biggest problem in the country was that a protest was moved using non-lethal measures near Lafayette Park, which is right next to the White House. And, the, oh, who was there tear gas or was it just pepper spray or, what, you know, all this stuff, as if that was the single most important thing to happen in the whole country. We kept hearing that it was a peaceful protest. Here's the attorney general, whom I've come to see as a straight shooter and a guy who we have no reason to not believe based on everything. We, I know, oh, my gosh, the libs are all, oh, he's a liar. He works for Trump because they're psychos. Uh, but here's what, what he says about whether this was a peaceful protest. Play clip 17. At that point, it was not to respond. On Monday, you're saying there were projectiles. On Monday, yes, because they were. As I'm saying, three of my colleagues were there. Yeah. They did not see projectiles being thrown. I was there. When I was happened. there. They were thrown. I saw them thrown. And you believe that what the Park Police did using tear gas and projectiles was appropriate? Here's what the media is missing. This was not an operation to respond to that particular crowd. It was an operation to move the perimeter one Block. And the methods they used, you think, were appropriate? Is that when what you're saying? When they met resistance, yes. They announced three times they didn't move. By the way, there was no tear gas used. The tear gas was used Sunday when they had to clear 8th Street to allow the fire department to come in to save St. John's Church. That's when tear gas was used. There were chemical irritants, the part. No, there were not chemical irritants. Pepper spray is not a chemical irritant. It's not chemical. Pepper spray, you're saying, is what was used. Pepper bowls. Good to get some facts out there, isn't it? Notice how Margaret Brennan, another libjourno fraud, works for CBS. Oh, I'm just bringing you the facts, but I look very serious when I do it. You lib. I can tell you every. I can tell you everything she believes, everything she thinks. I can sit down and just check off a list of all of it. It's all the classic. This is what you think if you're going to be a journalist and have the other journalists clapping for you. Oh, you're so smart. Obvious, right? Classic lib journal who doesn't even realize she's a lib. She just thinks that, oh, this is what smart people think. <laughs> OK, good luck with that one. The attorney general, though, getting out some truth is a good thing. And then he spoke on this issue. We'll, we'll talk about what The New York Times has done in just a moment here. But here he's, he talked about law enforcement and, and the possibility of having to call in troops. He says, look, if we got it, we got to play eight. Well, it depends on the circumstances. I was involved in the L.A. riots and the Rodney King matter. We tried to use uh, non-military forces. I sent 2,000 federal law enforcement officers out there in one day, uh, but it was overwhelming. Uh, and the National Guard couldn't handle it. And uh, Governor uh, Pete Wilson uh, asked for federal troops. And he asked for it, though. Yes. That's a key distinction. Or he, he approved the use of federal troops, but those troops were on standby. As well, because I think a number of people would be surprised to hear, and it's been reported that you opposed sending in active duty troops on principle. You're saying you would support it as a last resort, of course, of course, as a last resort. Like, well, what's the alternative? Oh, yeah, de de defund the cops, defund the military, no guns for anybody except the bad guys, the lie, the, the rioters, the looters. And the media, while, while they're just all they're thinking about is, you know, how they can get into the fanciest club in the Hamptons and out in Bethesda, you know, make sure that the right set of people likes them. They're pretending like they're OK with all of this. 
Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Never again will I be bullied, nor should any of us be bullied into exchanging all of our liberties based on the word of public health experts. How many major conferences, uh, how many people you see going on TV, the, the very same public health experts who are lecturing us endlessly, socially distance, wear a mask, wash your hands, or else people are dying because of you. How many of them have you seen in the aftermath of massive, unsocially distanced, or socially undistanced, sorry, I guess that works better, uh, protests over the weekend calling out what we were told in the case of Georgia reopening was an experiment in mass death. You know what you're going to find out from these huge protests? It's not going to be a big surge in infections from them. It's not going to happen because outdoor transmission is almost impossible, especially in this weather. And young people who are outdoors wearing masks are being silly. There's no reason. There's no reason for this. And in case you think, oh, Buck, what are you saying? Asymptomatic coronavirus patients aren't spreading most new infections, according to the World Health Organization. This is a way of saying now they're doing contract uh, contact tracing. Uh, they're contracted to contact trace. Uh, now they're actually looking into this. You know what they're finding out? That people who don't have symptoms don't really spread this thing. It is people who, just like with other coronaviruses, which do cause the common cold, the, the common cold is a, is a coronavirus, or the, the strains of common strains of coronavirus cause what we think of as the cold. Uh, this is not a cold. I'm not saying that. But the same way that, you know, you're sick and you spread it to people or you spread it right before you get sick. That's how this, according to the World Health Organization, is supposed to work. Now, you might say, Buck, you say the WHO gets it wrong on things. Yeah, they got it wrong on things when they had no data and China was pushing them around to say things that weren't true. And now there's actually a lot of data that they can look at. It's not that hard to look at the facts and the figures when you have them and say, OK, well, I guess this is the situation. And here they, this is a piece on CNBC. If you're asymptomatic, you're very unlikely to spread this. Oh, oh, gosh. So why are we all going around with masks on? I'm not sick. I'm not giving anybody coronavirus. It's absurd. It's stupid. Why am I going around with a mask on all the time? Oh, because everyone's so scared. Yeah, they made us so scared. Because they told us, oh, if you get coronavirus, you're, you know, your face is going to fall off and everybody's going to die and it's going to be the Spanish influenza all over again. And no, it's not true. It's not true. And where where's Dr. Fauci? I, I want Fauci on TV saying, look, everybody, the mitigation efforts out outdoor mask wearing is dumb. And you don't want to be a dumbass. You don't have to wear a mask outdoors. It's stupid. Also, if you're young and healthy, you know, you really don't have to worry about this. And it looks like the WHO is saying you can't even spread it, really, unless you're sick. So basically, sick people wear masks. That should be the rule. Sick people who have to go out in public, wear a mask. Everybody else, no mask. That's it. That is a fact and reality-based assessment of where we are. But you're not seeing that, are you? Oh, no, you still have some people. Oh, my gosh, any day now, the cases are going to spike. And this is the part of this that drives me the most insane. You know, New York City is in its phase one of reopening. As Governor Cuomo wants credit for reopening. 
What do I mean by reopen? I mean that now a small segment of business in New York will be allowed to start having business even if there's no customers. How, how are they going to stay in business? I'm not clear on how they will stay in bit. This is where we are in phase one now. We should be in phase reopen. We should be people go about their lives. This is madness. This is madness what has been done. Now, 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 I'm telling you what the data says. Outdoor transmission basically can't happen. Uh, asymptomatic transmission, and I want to say basically can't. Highly, highly, highly unlikely. Do we live our lives in fear of the highly, highly, highly unlikely all the time? This does bring us back to the conversation. You get in a car, you could die. You going to get in a car today? Probably. Or at least a lot of you will. But you could die. It's true. And can I ever, can I ever tell you for sure you, you wouldn't die if you get in a car? No. But it's a risk you're willing to take. I could get an elevator elevator. The, you know, the elevator could just crash the bottom floor and, you know, that's it. Risk I'm willing to take. The, the coronavirus risks were completely exaggerated, inflated, misunderstood. We misallocated resources. Wrong decision after wrong decision from the authorities, from the people in you know, public health positions. And well, I'm never I'm never going to go back to thinking that when it comes to saving lives, people in the medical profession would put politics aside. No. Oh, no, no. All these doctors and nurses that are now black lives matter, you know, chanting down the street and everything else. Uh, wait, I thought that lives just mattered when you're in the medical profession. I thought that the politics of political movements wouldn't really sway you one way or the other. I, I guess I was being naive. I guess they can't help themselves. You know, they're, they're people, too. Right. Virtue signaling feels good. Oh, man. Yeah, that's right. Put up that hashtag. Black out your Instagram. Do all these things that people are doing. Oh, that's right. They're, they're curing racism with this, said the morons. <sighs> I know. This is, it's crazy. But uh, the coronavirus thing now, we've, we've moved past. And this is also, I think, part of the, the mentality of many of the people that are pulling the strings and pushing for this behind the scenes on the left. We're not allowed to do an after-action report of these Democrat states that have had the most extreme lockdowns. They've ruined their economies. They've put the United States into a recession. They've done all of this for no benefit. They did not have to do this. They chose to do this. And it was the wrong thing to do. But no, they'd rather go and, and wage their uh, anti-fascist struggle, which now includes, you know, in Europe they're protesting. Oh, huge protests. And by the way, I thought they were worried about the disease there too. I thought COVID-19 was a big, social distancing, a big threat. If it's about policing in Minneapolis and how they need to defund, defund uh, the police in Minneapolis, why are people in London and Amsterdam gathering in huge numbers? To No, this is about leftism. It's about feel-good politics, man. One-world government, socialism, statism, piled on top of each other. It's about a massive global infusion of collectivism and people just, just sitting around and... and being all about their white guilt and, oh, my gosh, white privilege. Let's all apologize for it. There was this video going around over the weekend of a bunch of white, uh, white people who are, uh, you know, washing the feet of black pastors as a form of public penance for, the, for, for white guilt and the sins of white people. I'm never going to apologize for being white. I was born this way. It has nothing to do with my character, my mentality, anything else. This is just how I was born. The same way that it would be immoral for me to judge somebody else by their skin color. The same way that it would be 
a logical and moral fallacy to see someone's skin color and make any inference or distinction about who they are as a person or their worth. I do not accept that I have any guilt or less worth because of my skin color, nor do I think that I have any advantage or in any way am considered superior to anyone because of skin color. This is the only way to stay morally and ethically consistent on this matter, by the way. The things that other people are telling you about, how, oh, no, your white privilege is no, no, no. We are morally culpable for actions, for decisions that we make as human beings. We are not culpable for what other people in other times or other places have done. But this is going to be a fight. Make no mistake about it. And the anti-fascists who are defacing Churchill statues in London without any irony whatsoever and putting up on a on a on a statue of the founder of the modern uh, of modern policing in the UK. Remember, U.S. policing is largely taken from the UK, UK policing. In fact, our intelligence community as well is built off of a UK model with the uh, Secret Intelligence Service and MI5 and MI6. But policing is something we've also taken, you know, culturally and legally speaking from the UK. And the founder of modern, modern policing, his statue was defaced. And uh, they put a, I mean, I just, you can't imagine this stuff. They put a hammer and sickle um, on, on the statue. And now I just got to tell people there's, there's no better proof you can have. Sir Robert Peel, by the way, in 1829, Sir Robert Peel established the London Metropolitan Police Force. He is known as the father of modern policing. If you think that you are anti-police brutality and violence and you are painting as they did over the weekend in the UK, the symbol of the Soviet Union, the hammer and sickle on a statue, if you think you're opposed to rough policing, you really don't know anything about the Soviet Union. If you don't like aggressive policing, the Soviet Union was really not your thing. Where it was a true police state, where officers of the state police in their different forms could come and take you from your home in the middle of the night with no charges, no due process, hold you in a cell, torture you, rape you, beat you, and then send you to Siberia or take you for summary execution, send you to the gulag or just take you out back and put a bullet in your skull. That was the Soviet Union's version of police for millions and millions and millions of victims, tens of millions. But people think that they're anti-police violence and they're painting the hammer and sickle on things. It is not possible to be more wrong and more ignorant than this left wing movement. It's not possible. They, whatever the exact opposite of the truth is, they're able to somehow find that. Yes, they represent Soviet-style policing. That's what we need. Communist states, they've really figured out policing well. They know nothing, it seems, of history. Or they figure that they can just rewrite it with their emotions. It doesn't matter. They feel a certain way about Che Guevara. They feel a certain way about the Soviet Union. And that's all that matters to them. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Yeah, I don't I don't remember all the, the woke staffers at The New York Times rising up in arms whenever they published the Taliban op ed just a few months ago. Uh, it, it just goes to show you the moral rot inside some of our media and academic institutions that they don't get outraged uh, about the Taliban, but they do get outraged about conservative opinion. <laughs> I mean, that's the best comparison you could ever, ever find, right? They will, they will literally publish, as they did, 
an op-ed by the Taliban in the New York Times. That's okay. But they will not publish without an uproar and demands that heads roll. An uproar that a sitting U.S. senator would write an editorial that was entirely, not only within the scope of the U.S. political discourse, but is supported by a, whose position is supported by a strong majority of the American people. Taliban, totally fine. New York Times wants to publish that. Ahmadinejad, totally fine. New York Times will publish that. I mean, Ahmadinejad, I'll never forget. It was a great moment because the left are such a bunch of childish frauds. It's just full of it. And I mean, the elites at the highest level, the university professors, the TV news anchors, the CEOs of lib-leaning corporations. Corporate America is now left-dominated, by the way. It's dominated by libs all over the place. But people who say, oh, corporations are right-wing. Big business loves big government. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. They hate small business because every small business is an act of personal, an act of, of individual and family autonomy in the market. They hate that. They want it to all be wrapped up in big corporations that they can control. And that, they can, and that can have, you know, HR departments that run those things like the Stasi. <gasps> Did you say that only, only women can menstruate? J.K. Rowling, most wealthy author in history, got in big trouble over the weekend because she's like, yeah, um, men can't get their periods, guys. We need to stop this. I'll tell you what they, I mean, the, the, okay, the exact quote, where was it? The exact quote was, if sex isn't real, there's no same-sex attraction. If sex isn't real, the lived reality of women globally is erased. I know and love trans people, but erasing the concept of sex removes the ability of many to meaningfully discuss their lives. It isn't hate to speak the truth. Uh Uh-uh. It is hate to speak the truth. According to the woke, Ms. Rowling, maybe come on over to conservatism where intellectual pursuit is real and the exchange of ideas is still welcome. Don't join the woke mob. The cultish, brainwashed libs. You don't want to be a part of that team. I guess she does. They throw better cocktail parties. It's easier, too. You can get away with more. You know, all you have to do is obey the cult. And you've got a whole army that has your back on all matters, social and political and economic and professional. Oh, it's so much easier to be a leftist, especially in a city. Oh, man, if I was willing to be a turncoat trader, like a lot of people who used to be on the right, who now have switched over and over at MSNBC and other places, you get these never Trumpers. They're just turncoats. They're just traitors to what they said they believe, what they said they spent their adult lives fighting for. Just frauds, fakes, phonies. But J.K. Rowling made the mistake. You can't, can't. She says, oh, no, the truth is not hate. Uh-uh. The truth is hate now. That's how they've defined it now. You speak the truth if it upsets people, if it triggers them. Oh, my gosh, triggered. So triggered. Um, Tom Cotton sending the troops uh, editorial means that James Bennett, who was the editor of the op-ed page of the New York Times, a, a hallowed position in lib establishment media, James Bennett is out. He's out, had to resign. They cost this guy his job. Staffers within the New York Times cost this guy his job. Yeah, that's right. Because he published the, an editorial. Remember, the purpose of an op-ed is to get diverse viewpoints. The purpose of publishing Tom Cotton on this could not have been any more clear. 
But people in the Times came up with a left wing construct of this is he Tom Cotton. This is what they said is advocating violence against black New York Times staffers. (gasps) Oh, that sounds horrifying, right? You can't. I mean, that's disgusting and terrible. So the only problem is it's not true. It's not what he did. It's not reality. Doesn't matter. Come up with the narrative. And this is what they do with all these things. Come up with the narrative and then the emotion drives the rest of it. The facts cannot be allowed to get in the way of an important political narrative for the left. And then that brings me to uh, that brings me to the Philadelphia Inquirer. Also, somebody's out there, another editor. I, I, he's a longtime editor, not, this, not the editor-in-chief, but a senior editor at the Philadelphia Inquirer over the weekend. Not woke enough. Not woke enough. <laughs> NPR is putting out a, uh, put out a piece over the weekend about how you need to decolonize your bookshelf. Now now we're back to this, too. All the things on the left, right? It started out with one act of violence against a black man in Minneapolis that was very, you know, emotionally charged and very upsetting and very wrong. It starts with that, where there's universal moral agreement, and then that is used as leverage to get you to try to agree to all this other left-wing stuff that has nothing to do with that. Decolonize your bookshelf. Uh, Can they tell me, who are the approved great authors? Who are the approved non-white male great authors that I'm supposed to be reading now because I want to, quote, decolonize my bookshelf? And when they tell me this, just the same way that I'm willing to say protesters are allowed to have their voice and have their say, I'm allowed to say it's stupid and it's meaningless and it's going to hurt people what they're advocating for because it is. Uh, Okay, give me the list of the non-white male authors. And and then I reserve the right to look at this and say, not a great book, not a great author. You know, some, some yes, some no, right? But I'm not just going to take a list First of all, I'm not going to decolonize my bookshelf, but I'm not going to just accept that they're putting forward people. Oh, you know, Shakespeare. Yeah, he's good, but he's, you know, he's an old white guy. He's not, not, not so good. Let's put someone else forward. I mean, we're going to celebrate, you know, I, I, I'm sorry. Who is the author? Who is the, the non-white male author that is being not read enough in schools that would be a game changer for our perception? I, I, I mean, I asked the question, honestly, who? I mean, I've read, I've read Richard Wright. I've read some of the great celebrations. But, you know, you'll notice... That Frederick Douglass does not get the celebration on the left that he should. And or really, I would argue across the board, Frederick Douglass was a, a, a true genius in his way. But there are these other authors that are far left who put out crap, but they're non-white. They're far left. And then we're told, oh, you've got to read this. No. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. We made ours go up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. It is time for the Roll Call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. First, we want to check in on our buddy, Producer Mark. Producer Mark, how was your weekend? Um, quiet. Yeah? Hmm. Okay. Any, anything anything noteworthy? Uh, we'll watch the rest of Fuller House hmm. with the wife. It uh, was nice. not good. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it was very good. Yeah, I mean, it's very cheesy. We know that I have Aunt Bucky, Aunt Becky, not Bucky, Aunt Becky, because she's in the big house. Yes, they explained her absence that she was in Nebraska helping her mother. (laughs) Ah, no Aunt Becky. Oh, man. 
What a shame. What a shame. Sorry. Look, I, I, was, I was team Aunt Becky. I mean, I didn't want her to go to prison, but I, I got to say, it's who would have thought that we'd be in this situation right now? You have any, any, any interesting food or anything else happen over the weekend that's worth telling the folks? Uh, nothing really. You know, no. Just hanging. I watched, uh, I watched Penny Dreadful City of Angels. And uh, I got about 15 minutes into it. it. It is horrible. It is so bad. I, I just couldn't even get through it because Penny Dreadful, the original show, which I think was a Showtime show, was actually quite good for what it was and very entertaining. And this show was horrible. And it makes me mad because it has nothing to do with, with the other show. But they just knew that they had a good show. So it's like they tried to connect it when it has. You remember when Tommy Lee Jones was in The Fugitive and which was a great movie? And then they made like a Wesley Snipes, the fugitive, like something else. But it really is like a different movie, different. You know what I'm saying? It's like the Men in Black movie without Will Smith. Yeah. Well, kind well, of. At least that's the same story. Like this has this storyline's not even. It's like nothing. Okay. You know, it's a little bit like um, more, more like that True Detective show, which the first season was great. And then the second season was unwatchable garbage. And, th- and they really have nothing. There's a basic premise that's similar of two cops in a place. Other than that, it's totally different. Yes, I've heard good things about the first season, and then everyone says to stop, so why do I bother watching it? Have you seen the first season? No. Oh, dude. Dude. Producer Mark. Uh, You gotta add that one to the list, man. But why am I gonna watch it if I know the second season stinks? Because it's a standalone. So you're just watching one season of a show. That's amazing. So it's like I'm watching a movie. has nothing to do with the first season. So it's like, you know, um, I'm trying to think of a, a better, you know... Uh, something like this where they kind of go off and it's not similar at all, but season nine of scrubs speed one and speed Two, the movies speed one. Amazing. Producer Nick is calling it an anthology. Yeah. Maybe that's the way to think about it. I don't know. Anyway, it was really, it was really, I got the snow princess to lock in and try to watch some of it with me. And she was like, this is what we get when we listen to you. Cause I also convinced her last weekend cause I'm sick of watching the same stuff, you know? And so I want to expand our horizon. So I got her to watch grim which is like Grimm's fairy tale in a de- modern detective setting. Very bad. Trash, trash with crappy production values. Anyway, I wish I had something good to tell. Oh, I mean, the, the last dance is amazing, but I ripped through it. Now I'm done. Now what do I do? Uh, I mean, find another sports documentary. I suppose. Huh. Yeah. All right. Roll call time. And plus we will do. So I think Mark and I have decided that we'll, we'll pick the best voicemails and it'll be, it'll be like a Friday thing, right, Mark? We'll do a segment devoted to voicemails on Friday, assuming we have enough. That's better. Keep my blood pressure as low as possible. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so you got to give a good... So now everyone really has to listen in for the, 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 you know, really keep it to 45 seconds or less and either get, ask a question or just share your thoughts with the team and tell us, you know, if you don't mind how you listen, where you're calling from, if you're comfortable sharing that. So, you know, that's the way to do it. Maybe give us your name, even if it's not a real name. Yeah, give us a name, at least. You can call on a fake name if you want. Be like, my name is... Buck calls his girlfriend Snow Princess on the air for crying out loud. I mean... Yeah, exactly. Her her name on her driver's license is not Snow Princess. So, in case you didn't know. It's not? It probably should be, though. Imagine if you go to the DMV and ask that to be your name. Like, what would they even say? I don't think they could, st- if you had the legal grounds for it, I don't think they could stop DMV it. employees, no offense, but they just kind of rubber stamp stuff. I don't think they're going to take any offense to that. Um, so, let us move, shall we? Douglas, first up here. Buck, the Minneapolis police force should stay home, stay safe for a week, just to see how that would work going forward. You know, 
I'm just going to say this, folks. Uh, I, I understand the, the impetus to let, let the cities burn themselves down and burn them. But you got to remember, for those of us who are stuck here in these places, you know, and I get it. You're like, Democrats should have to live with the decisions they're making, and then everybody will understand. And, you know, this is the laboratory of democracy playing out. But just think about the rest of us, okay? Think about what it means when these cities become lawless and who's hurt by it and how terrible it is. This is a price that's too high. This is not a lesson we, we should have to learn. We already learned it in American cities through the 70s and into the 80s, into the early 90s. We've already learned this. The hands-off, police the bad guys, let things happen, social workers will fix it mentality. It does not do well for us. It does not do well for society, for anyone. Um, and in, in places, you know, I, I think in Los Angeles County, there's a million registered Republicans. In New York, there's, a, there's about a million Republicans. So just remember that there's a lot of people who aren't in favor. And then there's some Democrats who are sane enough to not want this stuff. And then there's the we should just protect people from their stupid ideas, even if they don't realize they're stupid, which means that all the libs that are like, no, police. We still want them to have police. Yes, we do. We still want them to be safe, too. But I hear you, Douglas. Thanks for writing in. Zach Buck, longtime listener here. I've been listening since my junior year of high school. Wow. And I just graduated from college. Your show has been great over the past six years. Well, Zach, thank you so much. I feel like Zach's grown up with us. I spoke to a friend today who's a doctoral student from Saudi Arabia about the protesting and rioting. It was interesting to hear a perspective that wasn't influenced by their position in American politics. He concurred with everything you've said and agreed that the left has co-opted this from protests against unjust police killing to an anti-police and anti-Trump movement. It was refreshing for me to hear an outside perspective to make sure that I'm not going crazy since all my friends from college and high school are posting the black squares on Instagram and talking about how Trump is a dictator. As always, Shields High. Hey, Zach. Honored to have you in the Freedom Hunt, man. Young Team Buck in the house. We love it. Uh, and yeah, as for everyone, I know it's so much cooler now. It's so much more. That's what I think is so funny. People act like putting the black square on your Instagram and doing this solidarity social media stuff. Yeah, man, I'm being brave. No. This is what everyone's telling you to do. It's not, it's not brave. This is, this is the, op- this is what, you know, I, I, I don't know what else to say. It's not brave. Everyone's doing this and you get nothing but high fives and everyone telling you how wonderful you are when you do this. That's not brave. That's easy. So Zach, to be as you are a free thinker who appreciates real discourse, real thought, intellectual rigor, uh, that's a much better place, but it's going to be lonely sometimes, man. I'm just gonna tell you, it's why you always got to come back to the hut. Cause you know, we've got your back here, but in the rest of the world, you know, I look, I've told you before, my, in my previous life as a single guy, I've had people, I've, I've gotten phone numbers from women when I was single, which, you know, there's a pre, earlier, earlier in my time, phone numbers from women and had them cancel dates when they found out what I think about a different political issue because of what's on the internet. Yeah, that's happened before. Um, excuse me, but like, I totally heard what you said about climate change and I just don't think it'll work. And I'm like, fine, that's great. No psycho libs. I've learned, I've learned my lesson. No psycho libs. You don't want them in your life. You don't want to date them. You don't want to deal with them. It's a bad idea. Uh, but Zach, God bless Shield time, man. Good to have you on the team. Jared. Buck, on the one hand, the left says that police are evil and can't be trusted. On the other, they say you don't need a gun to protect yourself, but should call the police. So which is it? Well, Jared, 
what they would really say or, or what the logic of their position is, is that you, my friend, if you are disarmed and then the police are defunded, you are a necessary casualty if someone breaks into your home and attacks you of the change that they seek to, to create. Don't you understand that, you know, to make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs, my man. You know, that they, they view this all as, of course, there's a cost. Of course, this isn't going to be risk free. Of course, there's. Oh, but they're not going to be the ones who pay the price. The ones advocating for this. They will have protection. They have wealth. They will be secure. It is the, the people who rely on law enforcement to protect them, particularly in dangerous communities. All the dangerous communities will be spreading out. There'll be more and more dangerous communities if you defund police. So just remember that. I think there has been this uh, perception for a while that all it will take is a spike in violent crime in some area for, for everyone who is advocating for less police presence or to realize what a bad... No, they won't realize. They, they'll, even the ones that are paying attention to the numbers will say, well but at least we don't have more police violence. Yeah, there's been more murders, more people dead, more people raped, more people who have had their lives ruined by criminals. Um, but we're, we're approaching the society we want now where there's less of a sense of uh, over-policing of minority communities, and so that's a worthwhile trade-off. That is what the left will say. So don't think that spiking crime, even if they defund police, will make them change their minds. No. No. Do you, do you think that in the Soviet Union, the true believers of the Communist Party looked at the repression and the famines and the dysfunction and the autocracy and thought, wow, this is a bad idea? No, no. It's just, hey, man, making a perfect world is going to be complicated. Bringing about the revolution and then running things on revolutionary principles means you never have to say you're sorry because you got bigger things. You got bigger fish to fry, so to speak. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, more roll call. Ted, which reminds me, I bet producer Mark hasn't even sent Bill and, seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, have you? Uh, no. You young whippersnapper. How, how, do you, how have you not seen Bill and Ted's Excellent I swear, these young millennials... They need to show a little more respect to the canon of great film and music from the old Greybeard Millennial era, also known as the late 90s. Because yeah. uh, Bill and... I liked all the movies from the late 90s. I mean, all the music from the late 90s. Well, that's good. That's a good start. But, dude, Bill and Ted... I, we got to make a list. And, Producer Mark, you know, I watched Miracle basically on your say-so. Uh, and I, I don't understand know. why you need my invitation to watch one of the best sports movies ever. See, he's so he's so crotchety about this. I'm just trying to say, you know, I take advice. But, you know, when was the last I've, I've been saying, producer Mark, have you seen this? Have you seen that? When was the last time he came on the show and said, I got Mrs. Mark to agree to try this out? So well, we see, watched it that's we your problem. It. Mrs. Mark is never going to watch anything that I suggest. Ah, do I have to go direct to the source? Do I have to get Mrs. Mark to that's say it's what, OK? Exactly. That's what you All have right. to do. Yeah. All right. You know, it's just don't worry. As soon as we get Mrs. Mark and Snow Princess together, my God. You and I are going to be watching nothing but rom-coms. I say. Get ready We've for got it. to delay that as much as possible. Maybe Cuomo can shut down the state again. <laughs> now all of a sudden we'll like the shutdown. Ted, hey, Buck and Mark. I imagine it stinks living with the leftists, but it's nice to know someone is keeping the shields high in the city. I was born in Detroit, and I know how this ends. It's not good. Seeing a large city turn to crap because of dishonesty is the way it works. 
These mayors will do identity politics to sway voters. Detroit is a good example of what is to come for these cities. It's been over three decades and the city has not revived. I've lo- I love listening to you guys and wish you the best. Well, thank you so much, Ted. And yeah, look, I lived in a, I lived in a New York that had over 2000 murders a year. And you might say, oh, but Buck, you know, you, you didn't. And look, I've never pretended to grow. I didn't grow up in the projects. I didn't grow up in a difficult neighborhood. I grew up in a very nice neighborhood of New York City. Uh, but that didn't matter because the streets were dangerous. Even in night. What do people think that the criminals are like, we're only going to stay in the bad parts of the city? No, if, especially if you're going to rob people and break into places and steal things. Where do you go? They're the wealthier parts of the city. Uh, and it was there. The street crime was super high. There was graffiti everywhere. Everybody that I knew. I went to a Catholic school where we were told at the beginning of every school year, when we were, when we were just walking home, walking a half a mile, a mile home, something like that. We were told at the beginning of school year to take off our little blue blazer and to take off our little necktie so we were less likely to get beaten and mugged. I'm not making this up. Every year for years. Until the city cleanup happened and all of a sudden, because people got mugged all the time. Someone would come up to them, punch them in the face, pull out a knife, take their little Velcro wallet with $5 in it, didn't matter. Happened all, happened to most of my friends, happened all the time. That was where we, that was what we were living with in this city. People want to go back to that? It's really, it's really stunning. Uh, you know, I, I, I knew, I had a, in my year, a classmate of, it was a school, uh, uh, the school that was right across from mine. There was a young woman who was my age, and her and her boyfriend were part of stabbing a guy to death in Central Park, filling his body with rocks, and trying to sink him to the bottom of the boat pond. That stuff would happen back then. I mean, that was a shock, but I mean, that's bad. Bad, violent stuff would happen involving people of all socioeconomic backgrounds. Of all, It was just a free-for-all. So I know what it's like. People, libs want to go back to that. They don't think it'll affect them, though. That's the and if it does affect some other people who are not well off, it, if it affects people who are, you know, in in a bad, bad socioeconomic condition, well, make an omelet. You got to break a few eggs, right? That's what it becomes. Always self-justifying. It would be worse if we weren't doing this, which is just it's as upsetting as it gets. But here we are, um, Brad. Hey, Buck and Mark, thanks for hitting it out of the park every single day and reading our emails. Of course, you can thank producer Mark for that one. This protest riot thing is an excellent comparison to the Second Amendment. The people who follow the law adhere to stay at home orders and do not congregate. Those who don't gather in the streets by the thousands. They'll be the ones with guns when Joe Biden takes the Second Amendment away. Also, what's with the left's war on churches? Keeping them closed, burning them down. They should know by past experience with other countries that holy wars don't work out well. Keep up the great work. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, this is what I've been saying about cities where, the, you know, the bad people have guns in cities, uh, but they want to take them out, you know, take it out for us and make sure we don't, take them out of our hands, rather, make sure that law-abiding people don't. It's very troubling. Joel, hey, Buck, I'll admit when my wife first introduced me to your show, I was not a fan because of the frequency and sound of some of your impressions like Hillary. (laughs) I've taken it back, but I may have called you just Tucker Carlson's less confused looking cousin. That being said, I'm concerned about the state of things as they are, especially as it pertains to the coming election. If you remember that pact that liberal states signed to transfer their electors to uh, vote electoral votes to popular vote winners. What worries me is a scenario where Trump wins the Electoral College, but not the popular vote. Would Trump have to step down? Your thoughts? 
No, if the system is the system, I don't think that'll happen, but anything's going, anything's possible these days. P.S. A good format for the multi podcast would be something like Drunk History, where you sit down with Scotch, pour yourself a few, and then dispense knowledge. I kind of like that idea. I might actually do that. All right, everybody. Great show coming tomorrow. Share it with friends. Shields high.